I know if you listen to the news, you're aware of the fact that there's a lot of war and fighting going on around the world. We talk about that being in the news, but it's actually really not news because that's almost always the case, right? There's always wars and fighting. We, as the United States, have some particular enemies who seem to be increasing in military power and capacity uh, and therefore posing an increasing risk to our national security. In the face of that, it seems scary to know that there's a move on in political circles to reduce the strength of our military, to spend less money on armaments and and soldiers and so forth. It seems that we need more tools, more weapons at our disposal, not less when you consider all the threats that exist in the world around. Right here domestically, the news certainly describes a dramatic increase in violent crimes. Uh, again, you don't have to listen to very much of the news coverage to pick up on the fact that all across our country, crime is, in a, is on a dramatic increase. With that being the reality, it just seems unbelievable that there's also a movement to defund the police. To defund the police in the face of increasing criminal activity just seems so illogical. It just seems from a common sense point of view that we need more, not less, law enforcement given the realities of how things are in our world today. We have a simple point. Those couple of observations are just meant to illustrate a simple point. And that point is this. In the face of danger, you need to arm up. In the face of danger, you need to have your weapons at ready access. And the more, the better in the face of danger. All right. With that point established then, let us ask this question that we want to investigate in our study this morning. And our question is this, in the battle against evil in our personal lives, what weapons can we use? We want you to really focus on the fact that we are in a great spiritual battle. It is real and it's all around us. We have a very powerful enemy in Satan and he's using all kinds of means and methods to try and get at us to cause us spiritual harm and eternal loss that being the case, we need to investigate what kind, of, what kind of weapons can we have and use and increase as this threat is real, what kind of weapons do we have that we can use as we are engaged in this great spiritual battle? That'll be our study for just a few minutes this morning. We stop here just briefly to reiterate what has been mentioned already several times as we've gathered today. What a beautiful day we have right here in Middle Tennessee we are in a blessed place uh, geographically right here in Middle Tennessee. But we're also blessed, of course, uh, in so many other ways, not just by weather and climate and environment. We're just blessed in so many ways, and we should be grateful. But we're blessed today that it's a Lord's Day. Did you give thanks this morning that we have this opportunity? Did you approach this opportunity as, oh, man, got to go to church today? Or did you approach this opportunity by saying, hey, it's Sunday. We get to go to church today. I hope it was the latter because this really is a blessing and we should be grateful for it. Never take it for granted. We're glad that you're here. 
And for any and all who are visiting with us, thanks for coming. Please come again whenever you can. So what are the weapons we can use in this great spiritual battle that we're engaged in? Well, first of all, I want to remind of some of the tools that we often discuss. We talk about these first things fairly often. The last part of the lesson, I want to talk about something that maybe we don't consider as carefully as we should. But we talk about these kind of things a lot. One of the great weapons we have is God's revealed will. Uh, 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 so we stress this a lot, that we need to be engaged in Bible study. Uh, we need to use the strength that comes from the Word of God. If we're not using these kind of tools, we're sort of handcuffing ourselves. We're entering into the battle with one hand tied behind our back, so to speak. Use, Bi- use the Bible. Use the strength and the power that comes from knowing what God has revealed in the Scriptures. In the text that Eric read for us earlier from Ephesians chapter 6, this is a very familiar text that talks about the armor of God. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Notice that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. That's what we're talking about, right? To stand in the evil day. To be able to resist all these forces of evil. To engage successfully in this spiritual battle. How are you going to stand in the evil day? Well, he says, uh, stand firm, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. In this very powerful description of the kind of armor that God has supplied to us to fight in this battle, do you see a a repeated emphasis on the resource provided by God's revealed will? And so that's one of the great weapons that we have and that we need to use. Could we put it just this simply? If you are not a good student, you are not going to be a good soldier. If you're going to be a good soldier in this spiritual battle, you need to really know your Bible, know it well. You need to be a good student. Now, I'm sure that if we went around the assembly this morning and asked people to sort of rate themselves on some sort of scale, how... How good of a Bible student do you think you are at this present point in time? I'm sure we'd get a variety of answers, but I hope that all of us would say, I'm not as good as I ought to be. I can be better. That being the case, get busy. Get busy because this is a powerful tool that we have in fighting the spiritual battle. And so we need to use that. We need to fill our hearts with God's Word. I believe that we need to pray and pray more. Let me ask you a question. How much do you pray on a given day? And I'm not talking about a Lord's Day like this because we've engaged in prayer several times already just in the time that we've been together this morning. But on a given day, on a Monday or a Thursday, how much do you pray? How much time do you devote to prayer? Could you do more? And again, I hope the answer for all of us is yes, I could and should do more. Prayer works and it's a powerful tool that we have. In James chapter 1, beginning verse 2, Consider it all joy, my brethren. Notice, when you encounter various trials. That's what we're talking about, right? That's the battle that we're describing. When you uh, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. 
But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And so, in this spiritual battle, (coughs) if you feel that you need wisdom and strength to engage the battle, ask God. So here's a challenge for you and me both. Spend more time in prayer this week because it is a valuable tool that we have. (coughs) Excuse me. A valuable tool that we have in this great spiritual fight. Another thing that helps us is to be busy doing good. We obviously want to rid our lives of bad things. And so if you're engaged in evil activities, things that you know are wrong, you... you, obviously need to get that out, rid your life of all those things that you should not be doing. (coughs) But the problem with that is that that leaves a void that we need to fill. You can't just get rid of the bad. You need to fill your life with doing good. And I believe that Peter describes that in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. So, do you desire to love life and see good days? Yes, that's what I want, right? That's what you want. If you desire to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. There's good that needs to be done. And you'll be a stronger person and you'll be more successful in engaging this great spiritual battle if you fill your life with doing good. There are sick people to be visited. There are lost people to be taught. There are weak brothers and sisters in Christ who need to be encouraged. Be busy doing good. You know, that is, that is a, a great tool that I think maybe is overlooked. Uh, but we need to do that. It, it will help us. It is something we can do to be successful as we fight against Satan and his work as he tries to destroy us spiritually. Obviously, we talk about this a lot, but obviously you need to associate with the right kind of people. It is just an undeniable fact of life that bad people bring us down. They endanger us in the battle. If we're around bad people, we're exposing ourselves to great risk. We don't need to do that. Bad people bring us down, but good people, on the other hand, lift us up. They make us stronger. They support us in the battle. So what do you do? Make sure you associate with the right kind of people. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23, before this, I want to read verses 23 and 24. You know verse 25, right? Hebrews 10, 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a man or some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. You know that verse. We read it all the time. Talking about the importance of coming together in our assemblies. But notice how it was preceded in the verses just before that. Verse 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he, is pro- he, is, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. That's part of what we do for each other. We stir one another up to love and good works. I need to be around that. I need to be around people who stir me up to do right things. I do not need to be around bad people who bring me down and try to get me to do bad things. I need to be around good people who stir me up to do good things. That's just an easy tool to employ, right? All right. 
There are some suggestions, just, just some reminders of some of the things that we talk about a lot, and I think you can add to that list undoubtedly. Uh, again, these things are extremely important. We need to be doing these kind of things. If we're not doing these simple things, then we are really handicapping ourselves uh, in, in the great battle that we are engaged in. But I want to, for the rest of the time that we're, we're going to look to the Word of God, I want to emphasize something that maybe we overlook too much. And the concept is expressed in Romans 13, verse 14. Romans 13, verse 14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. I want to suggest to you that as we engage this spiritual battle, sadly, we too often set ourselves up for failure. I get that. We do it to ourselves. We set ourselves up to fail. We put ourselves in situations that are destined to cause us to fall. And, and I believe that's what the Apostle Paul was talking about here in, by inspiration in Romans 13, verse 14. Make not provision for the flesh. Now, what would be some applications of that concept? Well, let me talk for a minute to the teenagers. In 2 Timothy 2, verse 22, it says, Flee from youthful lust and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. So flee from youthful lust. Free, flee from the kind of things that put you in a place of temptation. Here's the phrase. I want to keep emphasizing this phrase. Make no provision for the flesh. Don't set yourself up to fail. So uh, let's say that you're planning a date. Make no provision for the flesh. Uh, don't go to a movie where sensuality and fornication uh, are glorified. And therefore, by watching that sort of thing, your own desires are aroused. Avoid dances for the very same reason, because of what it might incite by way of youthful lust. Flee from that sort of thing. Don't go there knowing that that danger exists. Stay away from that. Skip the parties where you know that there are going to be people there who are going to be drinking alcohol. Maybe some of them smoking marijuana. You don't need to be around. There's no reason to be there. Your very presence at that place puts you in great spiritual peril. Make no provision for the flesh. Avoid dark, secluded places when you're dating that provide occasion for unchaste, impure behavior. Make no provision for the flesh. Flee from those kinds of things. You see the point? I think it's a really important thing to consider. Don't set yourself up for failure. Obviously, we already talked about this. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Be not deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. By all means, stay away from the evil crowd. Don't go and say, I'm going to go. I, I know there's going to be some people there that probably are not such good people and they're probably going to be doing things that they shouldn't be doing and I might be tempted, but I think I can handle it. No, you, that's dangerous thinking. Make no provision for the flesh. You see it? You see how that phrase has such powerful application as a tool to use 
in this great spiritual battle that we are fighting. Let me talk to the parents for a minute. You know that you have a great responsibility from God. Ephesians 6 verse 4, You fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's your assignment. It's a tremendous responsibility, an awesome responsibility that you have, a job that has been assigned to you. So in bringing up your children, how about remembering that phrase? Make no provision for the flesh. Make no provision. Don't set your kids up for failure. I tell you, I've always been, I've always been just shocked, startled to hear of parents, and this goes back decades and, and bring it to the modern day. Back years ago, I was always shocked to hear parents who let kids have a TV in their own bedroom and make their own decisions about what they would watch. And then that sort of evolved to having their own computer in their room with a connection to the Internet and, and no oversight, no guidance. That's a shocking thing. You know what you're doing, parents, when you do that? You're making provision for the flesh. I'm going to tell you, you give a young person the opportunity to make their own decisions about what they watch on TV or on the Internet, what they look at on the Internet. You let them make their own decisions. You give them no oversight or guidance about that. You don't regulate that. If you don't look over their shoulder, I'm not a prophet, but I can, I can absolutely predict what's going to happen there. They're going to look at stuff they shouldn't look at. That's just going to happen. And if you provided that for them, you made a provision for the flesh that sets them up for failure. Now, of course, it's evolved to our cell phones, our smartphones. Now I don't even have to be at home. I don't have to have a TV to look at. I don't have to have a computer in front of me. I got all that stuff right in my pocket. And parents, if you let your kids have cell phones with unlimited access to what they can get by way of their phones, you have set them up for failure. Make no provision for the flesh. Uh, Pretty important for parents to consider that expression relative to their kids. Because parents, you're in the battle. Your kids are in the battle too. Satan especially has your kids targeted. He wants them badly. And he's got a lot of tools at his disposal. And you may be helping him do his work if you make provision for the flesh. You see what we're saying? Could we just expand that thought just briefly and say not only teenagers and parents, but families in general. So we've got a TV and it's hooked up to the cable or we've got a satellite dish and we're bringing all that stuff in. If in my home, in our home, in our family homes, we have channels with nudity and adult content, we're making provision for the flesh, for our own failure, for our kids' failure. You know, if that stuff's not available, I don't even have to think about it. If I don't have that stuff, I don't have to even consider. I'm not even tempted. It's not even available to me at home. I can't be watching the bad stuff. It's not on TV at my house. But if I've got a TV and I've got it hooked up to all those resources, then on a continuing basis I have to fight that battle, you see. I've made provision for the flesh. Now, hopefully I can fight it off 
Probably I can fight it off. Maybe I can fight it off. Most of the time I can fight it off. But every once in a while I sneak over to that channel. Because it's there. I know it's there. Right? If I didn't have it there, I wouldn't be tempted. But by virtue of having it there, I'm tempted. My kids are tempted. I've made provision for the flesh. See it? Make no provision for the flesh. What a powerful way of thinking. Make no provision for the flesh. Let me talk to shoppers. So shoppers? Are you kidding? How do shoppers factor into this? Let me talk to shoppers for a minute. I'm talking especially about shopping for clothes. Right? Several people have mentioned to me, it's about time. We'll probably need our annual sermon on modesty. And I, I, I imagine we're going to get to that pretty soon. We usually try to, to discuss the subject of modesty at least annually when warm weather arrives. We'll probably do that again soon. But I just, I want to just talk to you about when we're shopping for clothes. You know, there are plenty of good choices out there. And I would encourage us all, adults, parents, young people, err on the side of caution. Don't see how much you can push the envelope. See how close to immodesty you can get without being immodest. In 1 Timothy 2, verse 9, Paul says, Women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty, self-control. Never underestimate the sinful appeal of exposed or accentuated body parts and flesh. It's just, it's just real. Anybody who denies that is just being foolish. You know what's interesting to me? When you talk about immodest apparel... The people of the world are not arguing that point. The people of the world dress the way they dress on purpose, and they admit it. The only people who want to argue the modesty question is Christians who are trying to self-justify wearing immodest clothes. We know that immodest clothing provokes bad thoughts and actions. It's just reality. And anybody who tries to argue otherwise is just not thinking straight. So what do we do about the clothes we wear? Make no provision for the flesh. Don't you see how that works? So, again, that's what I meant by shoppers. Specifically, shopping for clothes. Why not be careful there? Uh, and, 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 and thus arm yourself in this great spiritual battle. I want to add one other category. And there's, this, this, this concept could be expanded tremendously, I know. I want to talk about brethren. Now, you might think initially that's odd that that's in this list because everything that we've been talking about so far uh, basically talks about mostly moral questions and issues. But here I want to talk about our relationships in the body of Christ as brethren. Uh, there are some real temptations to do things I shouldn't do as a brother in Christ. For instance, as a brother in Christ... I'm determined to have my way. My opinion, my judgment will be followed no matter what. And I'll tell you, if you don't go along with the way I think on these judgment matters, I'm going to blow up. I'm going to cause a scene. The church will be split if you don't go along with my judgment on this judgment matter. We're not talking about doctrine and morals, obviously. We're talking about judgment matters. But, the, but if I set myself up that way... I am so strong-willed and determined that my opinions will be followed or else 
I'm making provision for the flesh. I will cause trouble in the church if I develop that kind of a, a mindset. There's somebody in the church who's more talented than I am. I am jealous of him. And I'm going to snipe and pick at him because he gets more attention than I do. And I don't like that. Make a provision for the flesh, you see, in regards to how we relate to one another in the body of Christ. You know, the fact of the matter is we're all on the same team here. This is not a competition. We're all working, supposedly, hopefully, to the same end, to serve our God faithfully and to to promote the cause of, of God's kingdom on earth. That being the case, I need to control my thoughts about my brethren, the words I say about my brethren, my attitudes toward my brethren, because when I don't control those things, I'm setting myself up for failure. Make no provision for the flesh. In Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil be speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. You know, when you read the first part of that passage, you get the idea that must have been a problem back in those days. That's 2,000 years ago almost. And Paul said there was bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor, evil speaking, malice. That must have been a problem. It's still a problem. Brethren think that way about one another. They feel that way about one another. And you know what we do when we do that? We're making provision for the flesh. And we're just going to cause trouble. You just be sure that we're going to cause trouble. And so don't do that. Make no provision for the flesh. Here's the key. I really want to emphasize that part of our lesson this morning. These other things that we talked about over here are all good and important. We talk about them a lot. But maybe we don't talk about this as much as we should. Make no provision for the flesh. We're engaged in a real spiritual battle. We've got to be strong. We've got a powerful enemy. We need to use all the weapons at our disposal. And hopefully in our lesson this morning, we've said some things that encourage us all in doing the right thing. Thanks for listening. We appreciate your good attention this morning. We're going to sing a song of invitation as we sing this song. We ask, first of all, ask Christians, you're in this battle, but maybe you feel that you haven't been doing well. And maybe even you realize that you have made provision for the flesh that almost guaranteed your failure in various ways. If that's the case, correct that immediately. Do not continue in that mode. Change that. Come back to the Lord in repentance, confession, and prayer. If we can pray with you and for you this morning, we'd be anxious to do so. If you're not a Christian yet, we urge you to obey that simple gospel plan of salvation. Hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. If we can help, let us know while we stand and sing.